This morning we're going to spend a few minutes going down memory lane. Since I don't have pictures of your life, I'm going to have to use some of mine. So you're going to have to, you know, kind of think about your own situation. And as you see some of these pictures, uh, put yourself in that place when you might have experienced something similar. Now don't show the pictures yet, but I'm going back to 1972. So that's a while back. Some of you weren't born yet, but those that were, think about where you were. It was in 1972 that I was confirmed. So I'm about 14 years old. I am at my home congregation, Zion Lutheran Church, Blackburn, Missouri. Now, there's only three of us in my confirmation class. Me, my twin brother, and my friend, Bruce Minershagen. We had gone to the Lutheran school together, and now we were going to get confirmed. There we were. We were up here in the front. Pastor Male, he had been our pastor for quite a while. He was there and he was going through the promises that we were going to make to the congregation. Because 14 years before that, my sponsors, my godparents, my Aunt Carol Ann Tiemann, and my grandmother, Amelie Kramer, they had made the promises for us. Probably like your godparents or sponsors did for you at your baptism. And so now it was our turn, and we were going to promise that we would remain faithful to the Word of God, suffering anything, including death, which was a little scary to a 14-year-old. I didn't know that I was going to have to die yet for my faith, but I was sort of prepared for that. I was I was. I was up for it, I at least said the words that I would be faithful. Now, you can go ahead and show the picture, but you can tell just exactly how excited I am because, see that great big smile? I'm I'm the one by the pastor. You know, I I had got my snazzy haircut. In other words, they put a bowl over my head and cut around it. (laughs) Nice, nice styles back in the 70s. I had on my brand new bow tie and this really stylish white robe which I still wear today because I like it so much. So there we are at our confirmation. The, the church is filled with family and friends and all the church members, and we made our vows. Now, all I could really think about at that moment, you might not be able to tell, but all I really wanted to do was go down to the church basement and eat cake because that's what we're going to do after, right? Eat cake and, get this, we got presents. We got presents on our confirmation back in the day. You got lots of gifts, mostly money, which I was really excited about. And so you might say my motives for serving, for hearing the call, responding to God's call, here I am, Lord, were not exactly pure. (laughs) Okay? I don't know where you were at your confirmation. So now we're going to fast forward. I hear the call again. Who's going to go? Send me, send me, right? I have gone to Concordia Teachers College. I have graduated. I have my degree. My divine call is to Valley Lutheran High School, Saginaw, Michigan. And I am going to teach biology and coach baseball. Now, I am not yet 21 years old. I had skipped a year of college. So I was less than three years older than some of my students. I was not yet able to legally, underlined, drink a beer. 
<laughs> and yet, kind of awkward, at the faculty retreat, the principal offers me a beer, and I'm like, what do I do? I don't know. <laughs> so, yeah, I think I did drink it. Yeah, anyways. <laughs> you know what was more awkward, though, than that is that I wasn't sure this was where I was supposed to be. I mean, who really knows at the age of 21 of what their life's calling is? You see, most of my life, I had been encouraged to be a pastor, but I had become a teacher. My pastor had encouraged me to be a pastor. My father had encouraged me to be a pastor. My grandfather had encouraged me to be a pastor. My twin brother was at the seminary studying to be a pastor. So was my cousin doing the same thing. A lot of my friends that I'd gone to college with were also at the seminary. Some of them who were at Ann Arbor at the teacher's college there, when I would see them on weekends, they would say, Larry, what are you doing? You ought to be a pastor. And so after about six years, because I am a very slow learner, (laughs) I thought maybe... I've heard God's calling. I'm the wrong profession, so I think I'll be a doctor. Like I said, I'm a little slow in learning. Well, as I moved back from Saginaw, Michigan to Alma, Missouri, having been gone now for about 13 years, counting boarding school and college and teaching, I moved into my parents' basement. Can you see where this is going to go? I had to have a job as I was studying for the MCAT, the medical college admissions test, so I could pay for all of that. So I was hired to be the head basketball coach at St. Paul's College in Concordia, my alma mater. And I was on a recruiting trip. So I was traveling all through the state of Missouri, uh, recruiting uh, guys to play on the team. And I was going through Jefferson City, as I recall, crossing the bridge there over the river, and there was this incredible thunderstorm. Think Martin Luther. Uh, Think St. Paul Damascus experience. And it's really a scary thing, but amazingly, after the storm had passed, there was this beautiful rainbow. And I thought I heard a voice from God. It said, if you build it, they will come. Oh, no, that's the wrong movie. Sorry. I, I get, you know, I get, I get a little confused every now and then, right? That was not the right movie. It was, it, was, it was something along the lines of, well, I was just thankful it wasn't Larry, Larry, why do you persecute me? But rather it was, it was something like, what are you doing? I called you to be a pastor. And so I pulled over and I contemplated. And I said, here am I, Lord. And so I enrolled in the seminary. I was accepted. Go ahead and show the picture now. Here on my ordination day, I'm the guy in the front. My my brother is in the back. My family is there. Uh, My grandmother, my Aunt Carol Ann, the ones who were there. At the very beginning, answering for me. Who is going to, to go Who shall we send? Lord, here am I. Send me. This morning, I'm not here to help you decide to become a pastor, although (laughs) it is an honorable and noble profession. 
And some of you young people, I hope, would consider that. But really, I want to talk to all of you because every single one of you has a call. Every one of you. You were also called in your baptism. Now, you may not have been able to answer on your own, but someone like my aunt or my grandmother, someone like that for you, answered for you. And you did it again at your confirmation. You said that you are going to be faithful, even unto death, that you would be faithful to the Word of God, and that you would serve Him according to your gifts and your passions. Today I want you to consider, and I know that a lot of you are already serving, and a lot of you are already on a daily basis, as you heard in the children's message, telling people that Jesus loves them. But for some, you may not know exactly where you are to serve, and I want to help answer that question for you today. So, before we get to that, though, because that's right at the very end, where are we being sent and what are we being sent to do, we have to answer another question, and that is this, why should we go? (laughs) What's the point, really? I mean, what is our obligation and what is the reason that compels us to serve the Lord. Well, I think that is where this this Old Testament lesson is so poignant. Consider Isaiah. He is a prophet. During that time, things are not going well. His good buddy, King Uzziah, had just died. King Uzziah was a good king, and there weren't a whole lot of good kings in Judah, but he was one of them, and now he was gone. The future is uncertain. The Assyrians are gathering in the north. Very soon they are going to invade. The world is in tumult. Chaos all around. The threat of violence is imminent. Does sound any familiar? We live in a similar world today, don't we? Chaos and tumult and and social upheaval and war around the world. The future is uncertain. And yet through all of this, Isaiah is reminded that God is in control and God is on his throne. When Assyria invades, God is still in control. God is still on the throne. There are the seraphim, the the flame bearers, these angels who are there surrounding the throne and they are crying out, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty, the whole earth is full of His glory. God is not only on His throne, but He is everywhere, and He is with you. In our own day and age, we can say the same thing. When the planes hit the tower, God was still in control. He was still on His throne. When you hear the words at your doctor's office that you have cancer, God is still in control. He's still on the throne. If your boss says you're fired, God is still in control. He is on the throne. At the burial of your loved one, he says, I am still in control. And I'm still on the throne. And it is our duty then, our obligation to worship the Holy One. Because the next point is this, we are not holy, are we? We're sinful. Isaiah says, woe to me, I am ruined, 
For I am a man of unclean lips, and not only that, but everyone around me is wicked. The best way to understand who we are and what we have done is not to look at ourselves, but rather to first look at God. Deity and godliness help reminds us how sinful and dirty we truly are. You know, right now, there are three people sitting in your seat. Did you know that? Look around. Three people in your seat. I don't know how you get them all in there, but there's three people. There is that person that you hope that you are, isn't there? We confessed earlier that we aren't that person, that we have sinned in thought, word, and deed. Then there is that person that everyone else sees, probably pretty good for the most part, I'm certain that if, if Isaiah would have asked people, they would have said, yes, you are morally upright. You are a paragon of virtue. You are a holy man. And yet, what does he say? Woe to me. I am a man of unclean lips. St. Paul says the same. The greatest apostle who ever lived. He said, I am the least among all the saints. I am the chief of sinners compared to God. Many years ago, when there was a, an editorial in the London Times, the question was asked, what's wrong with the world? We might ask that today. What's wrong with the world? And there are all kinds of answers. It all stopped when G.K. Chesterton, a prominent theologian of the day, wrote in to the editor, the London Times. You asked the question, what is wrong with the world today? Answer, I am, sincerely, G.K. Chesterton. So often we want to point at everyone else. What's wrong with the world? Well, these people over there, that group over there, people around the world. When I have a conflict with another person, who's at fault? Well, you are, of course, not me. We could follow the example of Isaiah and St. Paul and Chesterton. What's wrong with the world? Let's begin with me in my sinfulness, confess that we are not holy as we have done again this morning. But the good news then is this, as we look at our sinfulness and as we contemplate God's holiness, we see that God is merciful. One of the seraphim flew to Isaiah with a live coal in his hand which he had taken with tongs from the altar. And with it he touched Isaiah's mouth, and he said, See, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away, and your sin atoned for. Notice that the hot coal is placed on the lips, because the lips, as Jesus said, are connected to the heart. In our mind, in our soul, in our heart is where our uncleanness breathes. And it comes out through our words and our actions. Through what Jesus has done, through His sacrifice, through His atonement, there is cleansing. We are pure and holy and clean, just like God. Not because of what we have done, but solely 
because of what Jesus has done for us. And in this cleansing, then finally comes the calling. God is having a a conference there in the heavens, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And they ask, whom shall I send and who will go for us? And Isaiah must have been listening in. And he says, here am I. Send me. He didn't say, send my neighbor. Send her. He didn't say, oh, there's my pastor. Send him. He said, send me. Here am I. Commit to be used by the king. Every single one of you has a circle of influence. Friends and family and neighbors and co-workers. Those are the people to whom God is sending you. Simply to show God's love. Through your actions, through your gifts, as well as through your words. I have a, a collage of pictures. Greg, go ahead and put those up there. Of people who have heard the call. Some of you included in these pictures. The group that's going to Tijuana. They're leaving on Saturday for a week to to build houses, but really to build lives. To give people an idea of what it means to serve the Lord. To help people know that there is a God in the heavens who is not just a God of power and might. Not just a God who is holy, but a God who is merciful and a God filled with love. This group that just returned from the National Youth Gathering, these these young people and the adults who chaperoned them, as they gathered with 30,000 other young Lutherans around our country to serve our, our new principal, Tim Hippenbecker, who heard the call to serve his wife, Jill, who's going to be teaching in the first grade. And Nancy Bray is going to be teaching in the fifth. Hearing the call, Jen Walters, all heard the call. Here am I. Send me our vacation Bible school leaders. There's Gina and Laura and Elizabeth and Monica and Carol and all of those who have served. The hundreds who heard the call, send me send me adults and children those who serve at the food pantry those who who are serving those who have cancer those who are making prayer shawls and quilts we have our altar guild who who serves here in the church we have our ushers we have our greeters we have all of these people who have heard the call and have responded, here am I, send me. And so if you are one of those who are not yet sure, Lord, what would you like for me to do? We have put in your bulletin today an entire list what we do right now, how we can serve, how we can grow, how we can connect. And if you're still not sure, just call Sharon Teeman. And she will let you know (laughs) what you can do. I want to close with this. 
there is a legend of a pagan king. He was dying on the battlefield. And as he was dying in his last breath, his sword bearer, his servant, is there. And he commands him to tell the dead that the king is coming. In pagan practice, as the soul goes to the dead, there must be a messenger to let the people know. And so that sword bearer takes his own sword and he falls on it, killing himself, so that he might go first. I understand it's a pagan legend. But there's a lot of truth in it. There are a lot of people in this world who are dead in their sin who do not know Jesus as their Savior. As the people of God, we made the promise for us in our baptism by our sponsors and then at our confirmation and hopefully every day since then that we are dead to this world. But we are alive in Christ. It is our mission to go to those people in Judah, the people around us, our friends, our neighbors, our co-workers, and let them know that the King is coming. The Lord asks again, Whom shall I send? Who will go for us? And I pray that you will answer that call today and every day after. Here am I, Lord. Send me. May God grant that for Jesus' sake.